1: In this time of COVID-19, when the daily news is grim and filled with sorrow, today's guest is just the person we need to hear from. His years of psychological research into post-traumatic growth gives us all reason to be hopeful. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Renee Garfinkel, your host on the New Books Network with the Van Leer Institute series on ideas. Today we'll be talking with Richard Tedeschi about his new book, Post-Traumatic Growth, Theory, Research, and Application. Dr. Richard Tedeschi is a psychologist and professor emeritus at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. Professor Tedeschi and his colleague, Lawrence Calhoun, coined the term post-traumatic growth for the theory that holds that people who endure psychological struggle following extreme adversity Can often see positive growth afterwards. Richard Tedeschi, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much, Renee. I look forward to speaking with you.
1: So let's start with how did you first become aware of the phenomenon of post-traumatic growth?
0: Well, I'm glad you put it that way, Uh, aware of it, because it's not something that myself and Lawrence Calhoun invented. Um, but it's something we gave a name to, and it's a well-known phenomenon in, uh, in, in, in life across cultures. You find um, descriptions of it in literature and, and religion and philosophy. So um, I guess we could say that as psychologists, we relate to the party in this. Um, but we became aware of it because um, we were first interested in looking into the psychological study of wisdom and in doing so we thought uh, as we looked through the literature at the time in psychology that given there wasn't a whole lot there we thought uh, we would um, interview people we thought might be wise so um, we talked with people who had suffered disabilities in adulthood and done remarkably well in managing them and adjusting to them and living life uh, with their disability and we talked with uh, older people uh, who we you know folk wisdom is they're wise Uh, we talked with older bereaved people um, especially uh, widows uh, in their 70s and 80s looking at how they managed to cope with their widowhood. So we selected these people we thought might have something to say about Wise Way to Live Life in the aftermath of what things they'd gone through. And and the messages we heard from so many of them uh, involved this concept of growth after trauma that um, they learned so much about living life well, having to struggle in the aftermath of these kinds of traumatic events. So it was from those interviews that we first started to develop our ideas.
1: Well, trauma has been defined in the psychological and in the actually literary literature in, in many different ways. Uh, not, most of them overlap, but they're not exactly the same. What have you found to be the most useful concept of trauma, and why?
0: You're right that trauma comes in many def- definitions, and uh, for example, in in the psychiatric literature, uh, it has um, traditionally been defined in terms of certain kinds of events, life threatening events, and such. Um, we found that a way of defining trauma that comes out of the work of Ronnie Janoff-Bullman was particularly um, enlightening to us. And uh, she uh, described trauma in terms of the shattering of the assumptive world. And, and this is the set of beliefs we have about how life works, how the world works, assumptions we make about uh, how life is going to go assumptions we make that we we just don't question uh, because they seem so obvious to us until um, some event occurs which calls them into question this is the shattering of the assumptive world Um, so trauma is a shattering of these core beliefs um, where we say you know i can't believe this has happened or i never thought this would happen to me or You know, who am I now or what's going to happen to me or um, my life has taken a turn that I would never have expected. So it's a shattering of the core beliefs about ourselves, what kind of people we are, what kind of life we have, what kind of future we have, what kind of people we're around, what kind of world we live in, those kinds of basic assumptions where we think our life is pretty well known to us into the future and then suddenly the future changes
1: Right, it's it's amazing that it took uh, the psychological establishment twenty five years to notice that uh, post that trauma and and its sequelae uh, happened. I, I mean, the definition of trauma as, that you use and even some of the others are a part of life forever. So it's a it's remarkable, and to your cre- great credit, that you discovered what was there in plain sight.
0: Well, you know, I, I want to say that our first book that we wrote about this was in 1995 called Trauma and Transformation. And that was at a point where we hadn't even coined the term post-traumatic growth. We, we just mentioned it in the appendix to the book. Um, and in that book, what we did was we, we went through the literature of psychology at the time um, and we and we saw that there were references to this kind of phenomenon, but they were not emphasized. Uh, they weren't labeled in any way that allowed people to access them. It, there were seeds of this scattered in the psychological literature on different kinds of traumas. You'll find it in accounts of people with uh, Uh, devastating illnesses and we find it in the bereavement literature and description of responses to natural disasters and uh, to war Uh, you could find it in lots of different places but there was it was a theme that was not really um it, it wasn't pursued it itself in the psychological areas. So we want to bring this to the surface and treat it as a phenomenon in its own right that was worth more attention.
1: And when you say trauma is transformative or can be, what does that mean? What is the transformation?
0: Great question. It's, well, you're, of course, you're good at asking questions. That's your job. <laughs> but uh, the...
1: Better than at answering them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so what is the transformation? Um, it, it's, it's a transformation in, um, in the philosophy that we have in, in living our lives. It's a transformation in our, our view of ourself it's a transformation in our view of others and our way of relating to others. It's, it's essentially a transformations in those kinds of areas. Um, and when we, when we had completed our interviews and we had transcribed them and subjected them to different kinds of content analyses and whatnot, and w- what we did was we came up with a series of quotes from these interviews uh, that we used to try to develop a measure of post-traumatic growth and these quotes became um, a measure called the post-traumatic growth inventory which turns out to have five domains contained in it um, these domains emerged from this this work through some statistical analyses and, and the five domains are these um, one is personal strength. So what's transformative is uh, people recognizing that they're stronger than they thought they were, mostly because they have come through um, events that were so difficult or devastating or challenging. Um, They were kind of surprised at their capabilities. Um, So that's one of the five. Another is a recognition of new possibilities in life. Very often the events people come through that are traumatic seem to rob them of a certain kind of future or the way that they're living life currently. Um, So for example, you might be robbed of a relationship when someone dies. So you're robbed of your your marriage or, or the child that you have. Um, or maybe you're robbed of, um, because of economic conditions, maybe you're robbed of your job or career, Um, or maybe you're robbed of some physical capability from illness. So people lose something. There's loss that um, at the same time um, forces people to reconsider how they're gonna live. And these reconsiderations can lead people to opportunities they wouldn't have had otherwise. New possibilities for living life in a different way. Um, Previously not pursued, not even welcomed, but possibilities nonetheless that can often be very rewarding in the end. Mm -hmm. And A third area um, is changed relationships with other people. Um, Very often people Well, if they're fortunate um, in the aftermath of trauma, uh, come upon other people who are very good at providing support, listening to them, Um, and in this support, uh, they may draw closer to people than they have been before uh, out of the necessity of being close and seeking support in the aftermath of trauma very often. Uh, So that can create. Um, a, a new and closer relationships and, and also a um, greater empathy and compassion for people who go through trauma. You know, when you're a survivor of it yourself, you realize what it's like to be a human being who has to endure suffering and that can make you more open to others who have endured suffering. Um, Another area um, of post-traumatic growth is appreciation of life, where people um, uh, see life through the lens of gratitude. Uh, They're grateful for what they have, given what they might have lost. Um, And they often say they don't take things for granted. And then the fifth Area that we talk about is um, spiritual and existential change, uh, where people um, often have to question or deepen or change their religious beliefs or spiritual consciousness or confront uh, the big existential questions the questions about existence, living life, and what it's about and what it all means uh, in the aftermath of. Uh, something terrible that has happened to them. So those are the five areas of transformation that we see in post-traumatic growth. And people may have transformations that are focused on one of those areas or a number of those areas.
1: Now, it, it seems just from the outside that most people or many people who survive trauma, they cope afterwards uh, once they recover, more or less around their pre-trauma levels of functioning. Uh, first of all, is that true? And secondly, if it is true, what differentiates those people from the ones who experience post-traumatic growth?
0: Well, what you describe certainly is true, and that kind of capability has been described a very... Um, clearly in in the psychological literature for many years as resilience so people who are resilient are those who come through trauma without having uh, scars we could say or um, they come through relatively well because something that's resilient is something that bounces back or is relatively unaffected so people who have certain kinds of capabilities of managing trauma without being affected by it uh, are resilient. And what distinguishes people who've experienced post-traumatic growth from those who are resilient is those who experience this growth um, do not have, for one reason or another, the capability of handling the trauma that they confront in a way where it doesn't really um, challenge them all that much. And that could be because um the trauma is greater and more devastating uh or that the person hasn't developed um the characteristics that we find in resilient people um and we've talked about the fact that post traumatic growth can lead to resilience it can lead to a strengthening of people um It can lead people to redesign their core beliefs, their assumptive world, their belief system, so that subsequent traumatic events um, don't rock their world and are more uh, understandable to them. And um, they can be resilient sometime in the future because of the changes they've gone through uh, in the process of post-traumatic growth.
1: Are there some characteristics, say personality style or sociological variables, demographic variables, that make it more or less likely that someone will experience post traumatic growth?
0: Yes, but um, uh, these kinds of variables or characteristics um, don't exclude anyone really from experiencing post-traumatic growth, but I, I can talk about what we found to be some of these characteristics. So for example, let's go uh, talk about age. Um, children uh, are capable of post-traumatic growth ideas and understandings generally um, around middle childhood, maybe eight or nine and above generally on the average when they are capable of thinking in terms of how good and bad things can coexist. That's the key because Mm post-traumatic growth represents um, something good coming out of something bad. And that kind of conceptualization isn't available to kids who at younger ages. They have to mature in their, um, Cognitive abilities, uh, in order to start to get that kind of concept, um, you can call it dialectical thinking—sort of thinking of about two things that don't seem to belong together but can be coexisting. Uh, so um, then, when you move up the age range, it seems like an at a time when people um, are particularly uh, open to growth is. Uh, late adolescence and early adulthood. Uh, And this is, of course, generally a time of a lot of uh, development of identity, um, launching into uh, the adult um, life with a certain uh, idea of the the plan for the future and the framework for life. So a lot of things are still fluid and in flux at that time of life. And um, people may be particularly flexible in terms of their ability to uh, adapt and and change and transform. So we see that as a kind of a rich time for post-traumatic growth. Um, And so it does continue to reach certainly into adulthood. Um, But um, maybe by very late adulthood, uh, we've learned a lot of lessons in life and you know the tragedies and suffering of life. Maybe they don't surprise us as much anymore. Uh, maybe it mm-hmm. has to be something really, really shocking to us and surprising for our own lives to to challenge the core belief system we've built by then. Uh, so, um, post-traumatic growth is is something that people of all different ages. Um, can report but but if we look at age it's generally that way um it is universal i mean we have uh, done research across all kinds of uh, cultures um it it is found in all kinds of uh, religious traditions Uh, so it doesn't seem restricted to any particular uh culture or nationality um and um and yet, um, there are some subtle differences in different places uh, about the, the domains of growth, those different areas of transformation that I mentioned, those five areas, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of what seems to be emphasized. Um, so, um, so, for example, in some Asian cultures, we find less emphasis on transformation in the area of personal strength. And more in that area in Western countries. Um, And that may be because Asian countries are less individualistic generally um, in terms of their belief systems. Um, So they don't focus in that area as much as people in Western countries might. Um, We've also found less emphasis on the spiritual and existential change factor in some uh, European countries, than we found in the United States, for example, and that may be because um, maybe there's less religious commitment in a lot of people in Western Europe than there is in the United States. Um, right. So we don't see those shifts in kind of religious and spiritual beliefs as much. But but we've we've altered the scales somewhat in the past uh, few years to sort of try to accommodate that and capture a little bit more of the existential part of things instead of purely the spiritual and religious piece, learning from what we've heard from people in those Western European uh, societies. So those are some, uh-huh. those are some, some, some indications that there are, there are differences uh, among demographics. Uh, in terms of personality, um, we have found generally that people who are these personality um uh, traits called the, the the big five personality traits um, and yes. among those uh the ones that seem to correlate some with post-traumatic growth are openness to experience which mm-hmm. those are people who invite novelty and are interested and curious about experience and so they they're also also open to these kinds of changes we see post-traumatic growth and the other area is extroversion people more extroverted um, and there's area of ex- extroversion that seem to be responsible for this relationship and that those areas are um, positive emotionality and um, interest in connecting with other people um, uh, and and also um, sort of an action orientation towards towards life so so extroverted people seem to be kind of marginally, marginally more likely to show post-traumatic growth. These, these, are, these are small differences. I don't want to emphasize them too much, but uh, those are some, some of the things we have found.
1: Well, that's on the uh, individual side, on the person who has experienced the trauma. Let's look at the nature of the trauma. Are there some kinds of traumas? that are more likely than others to be followed by post-traumatic growth? Is there a difference, for example, between a personal loss, let's say, and a communal loss, uh, a physical illness uh, versus a natural disaster, or um, something that's natural, like the COVID-19 pandemic? versus something intentional like combat or terrorist attack. Is there anything in the nature of the trauma that makes it more or less likely to foster or elicit post-traumatic growth?
0: You know, we we have found post-traumatic growth reported by people across all kinds of traumatic events. Um, And we've been primarily interested in the process of post-traumatic growth more than how it relates to specific events, given that people report it in all kinds of situations. Um, so, I, I can say with a lot of confidence that um, any kind of event can yield post-traumatic growth, and and it's um, it's kind of surprising uh, how people are able to do this in in, in the aftermath. of things that are just so. T- terrible um so so this is a, a phenomenon that um, can arise out of all all kinds of events now um there do seem to be differences in terms of the kinds of um growth domains that occur sometimes given the events that people are uh, experiencing um but it's, it's hard to generalize to the event. You have to look more at what the individual is making out of them. So it seems to be a highly individualized process. Um, so for example, um, let's say we're talking about rape, um, which um, can um, y- yield um, growth in, in some areas while um, there is a, um, a a diminishment of functioning in other areas, so a person might um, who has been raped might feel very betrayed um, because who uh, perpetrated this act was someone that they trusted, um, and you know that could lead to people being. Uh, more mistrusting in the future and affect their interpersonal relationships. Um, so in the, in the area of their relationship with others, maybe there's, a, they've really taken a hit while at the same time, if they've somehow managed to get through this successfully, maybe they've sought, um, they've reported it and they've gone through a trial. Maybe they have a great increase in their sense of personal strength. Um, so, You might see changes in personal strength, you know, uh, really increasing um, while it's affected in negative ways other parts of their lives. Um, On the other hand, maybe uh, if you look at someone who's gone through a natural disaster uh, and they've had neighbors in a community that has rallied to somehow uh, where everyone's helped each other in the aftermath of a disaster, Maybe they've forged closer relationships with other people because of that experience with others. Um, Maybe other people have helped so much that they haven't had to rely on their personal strength to get through as much. Uh, So maybe that, for that individual, personal strength doesn't increase as much, but relationships with others are enhanced. So you you have to see what happens in individual circumstances Uh, to really understand um, how these different growth domains might be affected.
1: So would that mean, let's say, that someone who's experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder, a phenomenon that's been well-documented, well-researched, and uh, talked about, uh, can also, at the same time, be experiencing... Post traumatic
0: growth. Absolutely. Um, And that is because the circumstances that create post traumatic stress disorder are the same kinds of circumstances that are the fertile ground for post traumatic growth. So, you know, traumas that create PTSD also can propel people towards post traumatic growth. Now, the relationship between PTSD and post-traumatic growth um, can vary over time. So um, people who experience a really uh, very difficult traumatic event that that results in symptoms of PTSD, um, those are people that have experienced enough trauma. And you have to experience enough of it to shatter core beliefs or the assumptive world so they're at the same time people are going to be better candidates for post-traumatic growth down the down the line but if you look over time later on maybe years later um, post-traumatic growth is often uh, correlated with a lessening of PTSD symptoms um, as as people who experience post-traumatic growth learn to live well and, um, accept the traumatic event as something that has changed their life narrative, their life story. Um, they can also tolerate what symptoms of PTSD may be left in there and they're less, um, Difficult to cope with, less bothersome, and and so those symptoms sort of diminish uh, as post traumatic growth increases over time. So mm-hmm. those are the, that's the kind of relationship we tend to see between PTSD and post traumatic growth.
1: So in your book, you have a model of the process of post traumatic growth, and and in that model, are there particular transitions that separate those who go on to experience Mm -hmm. post-traumatic growth from those who don't
0: well yes that's a that's a great way to put it um so the first transition is as i mentioned to what extent are the the core beliefs or, or the assumptive world uh challenged um if those core beliefs are really not challenged very much and people are resilient. You won't see more, more, uh, post-traumatic growth. Um, and then after that, um, if the core beliefs are challenged, uh, this is a very anxiety arousing experience for people. It's emotionally difficult to go through that process. So, um, the trauma itself and these, the, the specifics of the trauma, um, you know, the loss itself or the injury itself, whatever it might be. Um, and, and maybe the post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms uh, create all kinds of uh, emotional disruption together with the challenge to the core belief system. So people have to learn how to settle down that, that emotional disruption and, and enough so they can think straight about what to do about this whole situation. So if they can get some emotional regulation going, they can sort of calm themselves enough, so that their thinking moves from being just kind of scattered and intrusive and um, repetitive, um, to something that's a little bit more reflective and deliberate. Um, then they can start to move towards the area of post-traumatic growth because they're deliberating about questions of the assumptive world the core belief system they start to think about you know what am i going to make of this what does this all mean for me what kind of life mm-hmm. am i going to go on to live if they can start to grapple with those questions rather than think like oh my god why did this happen to me or this is just terrible or i'll never get over this or you know it's all out of control i'm out of control and those kinds of anxiety arousing thoughts if they can move towards this more reflective state and ask these questions that are more useful and constructive. Um, they move towards post-traumatic growth. And then, as I mentioned um, briefly earlier, if, if there are some people around who provide a good, uh, listening ear and who are, um, consistent and available, um, this can help people with their reflections that they're going through to kind of process that and to come to some conclusions about things. So we need these kinds of people. They facilitate this process. Uh, Lawrence Calhoun and I, when we were developing this, we, when we thought about these kinds of people that were described by trauma survivors, we we came up with a, a way of, of saying it, we, we call them expert companions. So we need these expert yeah, that was a
1: great That was a great name in the book. I thought that was really a perfect title for the kind of friend a person in, in trauma or post-trauma would uh, would love to have. Yes, yes. please um, yeah. say some more about that expert companionship.
0: Yeah, yeah. What, what we try to emphasize is the companionship part. Um, you know, mm-hmm. people don't have to be professionals or experts in trauma or something like that. They have to be really good at being companions, um, being a- a- along for the, the difficult journey uh, through trauma, the aftermath of trauma. Um, so, you know, I think we all know what these people feel like. You know, I mean, they're, they're people who are open to us, who are aren't critical they don't give us unsolicited advice they don't pretend to know what's going to happen or how to do things Um, they feel really solid Um, they um, they're open to our emotional state Um, they don't try to force us in one direction or another they're there for the long haul These, these kinds of people you know um, these are the expert companions. You know, they're really expert at human relationship, at listening. And and you know the thing that we we found was that the, these kinds of listeners are the people who learn from us. They don't they don't try to teach us so much as they they, they listen in a way. They're, they're they're interested in what is this like for you. You know what happened. What's the, what's the impact on you? What's life like for you now? What what are you going through? What's it like? You know, they're they're learners about us and our experience. So those are the ways we've described the expert companions.
1: All right. Well, now we have a situation where there's widespread trauma at different levels, economic trauma, uncertainty about the future, besides people getting sick and, and dying. Uh it, in, are there things that families and friends and communities can do that facilitate post-traumatic growth and or things that impede it?
0: Well, we have to have, a, hopefully we have to have the, these expert companions around. We can be expert companions for each other. Um, you know, we can draw upon our capabilities that we've learned uh, throughout our lives to try to apply those capabilities now. And they're capabilities that are sometimes practical um, and sometimes are more philosophical. Um, But we can think about um, what we've learned from our previous experiences in life and draw upon those to help ourselves and those people around us. So many of us are expert companions for each other. Um, as we encourage each other to get through this too, um, so that's certainly the the basis for it all. Um, if you're a leader, you have the opportunity to affect many people by the um, the demeanor you carry in the midst of all of this, and it's not a demeanor where uh, you just try to be um, just kind of unnaturally strong and optimistic through everything. I I think it's important where you lead with an openness um, to your own experience of struggle and recognition that this is hard and it's anxiety arousing for all of us because none of us know exactly the future of it. Um, So I think you show that as you're a leader. And and by leader, I I mean someone who is perhaps – uh, a, a leader in their family uh, or in their neighborhood or in their friend circle, uh, not just a leader necessarily at the, the political sense or the professional sense right. Um, so um, I think we, we we have to bring that um, to each other. I think we, we have to we have to practice that emotional regulation that I mentioned. We have to find ways, to be able to calm ourselves um in in the struggles that we're going through here uh, they may be job loss um, there's um, challenges to our ability to just get by economically you know, if you're threatened by circumstance where you can't pay the rent or you can't um, buy your food um, you know how to calm yourself and, and somehow, um, emotionally get through these kinds of challenges. Um, so that's, and and those kinds of practices involve meditative practices and physical exercise and those things that can sort of take from the body, uh, all that, um, all that physiological experience of anxiety that's so unnerving, um, and then, and and, and then keep our our thought processes kind of straight enough that we can uh, solve the problems of this time. Uh, so those are things that are, are really necessary as well. And we can we can teach each of those things and practice those things. Um, and we have to we have to be able to kind of talk among each other, you know, keep connected yeah. in this time that we're practicing all this so so called social distancing. And, you know I, th- I think that what we're doing here you know I'm I'm in the United States and you're in in Jerusalem and we are um, we're talking together and this through this technological wonder of the internet you know this is something that this is an amazing advantage that we now have uh, across the world to stay connected and we're gonna, and we're using this uh, so um, making contact with our neighbors that we can't get in touch with, physically and our and our family members and our friends that we can't get in touch with physically um, is really important in encouraging each other through this so that we don't feel so lonely and isolated. That's really a, a danger for us all. So we have to yes. connect to our communities this way.
1: Now, tell, tell us about uh, the Boulder uh, Crest program. It's a program that is putting into place a lot of your ideas and insights that you've gained over the years. So Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, this is a Boulder Crest Retreat uh, for Military and Veteran Wellness. And I'll tell you, Renee, this has been so satisfying for me to see the development of this program. Um, and this retreat center was established in Virginia in the United States um in 2015 by a man named Ken Falk who is a Navy veteran uh who when he left the Navy after 20 years as a bomb disposal expert um and and then uh and then developed a um, a, a contracting company with the military um he He sold the company and and took the profits and um, created this retreat center for uh, military service members and veterans about an hour outside of Washington, D.C. on his property. And um, he he and his wife, Julia, decided to do this because they were visiting uh, wounded veterans at uh, hospitals in Washington, D.C., and bringing them out to their, their land. And, and they started to become, there was just too many for them to, to do the kind of job they wanted to do with it. And so they created this retreat center and, um, and I met with Ken um, early on in this process uh, after he had started to build this place. And um, we talked together about the post-traumatic growth model. And he said, this is what you're talking about is what we're really trying to do. Can you help us develop our program. Uh, So uh, we've worked together um, to develop a program um, that is based on post-traumatic growth principles and the processes of change that we find in post-traumatic growth. And and, um, the the people I'm working most closely with, Ken and the executive director, uh, Josh Goldberg, and... Um, another psychologist, Brett Moore, who's um, in San Antonio, Texas. Um, we have together uh, developed this this program, and what it is is a it's a week long uh, program where people come to this center, uh, live in these beautiful beautiful uh, setting, rural setting, uh, in in log cabins, lovely log structures uh, and, and meet in a, a log lodge and um, and learn about this post-traumatic growth process and in the process also um, do different kinds of activities which kind of demonstrate uh, and allow them to experience uh, emotional regulation and they go through uh, meditative exercises and they um, Work outside in different in different capacities that that allow them to um, bind together in a small group. We take in groups of six to eight at a time for this week long retreat, and uh, and then they follow up with us for eighteen months afterwards uh, through a um, uh, an internet based uh, platform that we have where we continually talk with them and meet with them as a unit and provide them with all kinds of materials to use uh, as they go through this 18 month process of consolidation of their learning and and applying it uh, back home. Uh, we also have a another retreat center in Arizona uh, in the high desert country of Arizona outside of Tucson. And then there are several associated um, retreat centers that we're working with that we don't own but uh, we've helped their staffs uh, learn our program and directed them how to apply it in different areas around the united states Um, so um, it's a uh, very successful program we've been doing some research on our outcomes and found it to be remarkably successful so much more successful than what we find in um, many of what have been called the gold standard PTSD treatments, uh, clinical treatments. So we're very excited about um, continuing to spread this program across the country, and um, and learn how to also uh, apply it uh, to other kinds of populations of people who are traumatized. Uh, first responders, for example, police, fire. Uh, we're talking about the healthcare workers now. Uh, responding to the COVID-19 and the, the terrible circumstances that they're confronting in many places. So uh, we're looking to expand our reach to, um, to other kinds of trauma uh, survivors and uh, to teach people about post-traumatic growth through training programs that were coming out of our Boulder Crest model
1: it It sounds fantastic it it actually sounds like a wonderful retreat for anyone to go on uh for a week in the lot yes. cabins yes. Uh, but, but are you is it your intention to develop a model that can be sort of franchised that some uh, someone else can create, or is the model really very dependent on the quality of the people doing it, on the expert companions and the professionals?
0: Well, um, we do want people to learn how to do this and to uh, utilize it in all kinds of places. Um, while at the same time, what you say is true, that we have to be you have to be careful and, and understand what makes it work. And, and if if you don't have the elements that make it work, then there's going to be a problem. <laughs> You're not going to get the results. So we talk about <clears throat> some of the things that seem to make this work. Um, one is the place where we do it. I mean, it's a place that is calming and, uh, and beautiful uh, and uh, allows for people to... Um, be tranquil and peaceful. Um, so setting is, has some importance. Um, the people are important. You know, Without expert companions, you're not going to get anywhere with this. Uh, expert companions are important. So for example, in our program, our expert companions are almost all veterans themselves, uh, helping other wow. veterans. Yeah. So they are not mental health people Uh, they're not trained directly in mental health, like in school and graduate programs or anything like that, but we help these veterans, um, become expert companions for their, uh, fellow veterans. And, um, and so people who understand that culture and know how to connect and are expert companions, we call them in the program, we call them expert guides, um, and, um, and so that's another important thing. And, and all the people in the program from, I mean, everybody there, I mean, all our, you know, our maintenance people, our um, culinary staff, everybody um, has this sort of, has that approach because re- everybody's relating in this way. So that's really important. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and then they have to understand the philosophy the post-traumatic growth philosophy—the philosophy that we call uh, in our program here—struggling uh, well, <laughs> how to struggle well, uh, and and then finally, um, we have a program that's um, very thoroughly described, and we have a we have a manual for the seven-day program that's two hundred pages long that lays out what happens during all that that time, and um, so you have to know what to do and how to do it, so. Those are the kind of the the four elements we call them the four p's the uh, the place, the philosophy the people, and the program um, that seem to result in the kind of outcomes so we're we're trying to tr- train this uh for other people in other places um so we're really getting up to speed on training now
1: oh that that's great I can't I can't think of a better time um, is there any particular advice that you would have to the therapists who I'm sure will be listening to this podcast, who uh, right at the moment, they, they are the ones generally that people turn to either when they feel they're not coping with trauma or even in the course of ordinary therapy about something else where trauma is not the presenting complaint, a history of trauma comes up. Is there something in particular you'd like to see a therapist do, or at least know about?
0: Well, it's it's the case that in recent years, in in the area of psychotherapy across disciplines of psychotherapy for psychologists, uh, clinical social workers, counselors, whatever, um, that there's been an right. emphasis so much on technique uh, of of certain kinds of therapies. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapies generally um, and people have been really learning these techniques of um, prolonged exposure and cognitive processing therapy and uh, um, eye movement and desensitization and reprocessing and all these techniques and yeah. what I'm afraid of is that people have lost some of the human element of therapy uh, in our and our stress on these techniques. Um, So we are focusing on this expert companionship model and how to bring that back into therapy, um, more um, more of a central focus. And and research in psychotherapy, if you really look at the research in psychotherapy um, carefully, you'll find that relationship factors, what are often called common factors, Factors that reach across techniques in in factors that have to do with the relationship that therapists have with their clients um, are most important, more important than these kinds of techniques themselves. Um, it's, it's the basic stuff without which nothing good is going to come. Um, you have to have the this strong relationship of trust and this relationship of openness. Um, and connection. Um, so I want therapists to, to rediscover the importance of this. Um, and there are some important people in the therapy literature who have been writing about this in recent times and bringing us back into a focus in this part of the psychotherapy tradition. Uh, so that's, that's, that's one thing I want them to know. And the other thing I want them to know is this post-traumatic growth model you can integrate into your therapy no matter what kind of therapy you're doing. It's a, it's, a, it's a conception that fits with um, a uh, forward-looking, future-oriented um, approach to people's lives. And it's a natural process that people go through anyway without therapy. People go through it all the time without therapy in the context of good uh, expert companionship. Uh, so we're building on something that's a natural process. So we facilitate that. We don't create it. We just facilitate this process that's naturally occurring and encourage it in people, and provide expert companionship. Maybe when there when there isn't a lot around for for an individual, we can also okay. apply this sort of philosophy beyond individuals to uh, to couples or families or communities or or societies um, where we see growth coming out of traumatic events and in the in the uh time we have now with this terrible virus uh, and it's affecting people all over the world we're going to see social changes and we have to encourage positive social changes in response to all this societies can grow and develop in positive ways uh coming out of this terrible experience Uh, we can treat each other differently we can we can recognize the value of different people in our society you know we maybe we start to recognize the value of people like those folks in the grocery stores or those who pick up our trash or our basic medical workers the people who go to the hospitals every day and do difficult and sometimes miserable tasks to to help us get well. You know, those people who have been underappreciated, that are so crucially important to us now that we recognize if they aren't doing their jobs now, we're in deep trouble. Those are the essential workers. Um, Our first responders, those people are EMTs and, you know, firefighters and people like that who are, you know, handling the emergencies. You know, people are underappreciated. So... You know, I think there are social changes that are that are coming uh, in the aftermath of this, and, and I hope that they are ones that we, we encourage.
1: Well, we see them happening, so they're happening already and uh, yes, I hope there'll be more of that. Well, Rich, we've taken up a lot of your time, uh, and I appreciate it so much before you go though, tell us what would you recommend to our listeners who want to learn more about? post-traumatic growth and how to be an expert companion or guide? Well, What should um,
0: they read? Yeah, well, you, you mentioned this book at the, the outset, and the book you mentioned on post-traumatic growth is, is an academic book. But yes. uh, we have just published a book uh, last month at Boulder Crest, uh, which I think would be uh, very it, – it's meant for the general reader – And it's called Transformed by Trauma, Stories of Post-Traumatic Growth. Um, And what it is, is a description of this post-traumatic growth process, illustrated with stories from uh, military veterans and their families who have been through um, all sorts of different kinds of traumatic events. Uh, So we find, um, in that book, we find mothers of service members who find service members themselves who are males and females all kinds of different people uh, represented in these stories and we use the stories in their own words the interviews we've done with these people to illustrate this process of post-traumatic growth that i've been describing so um this brand new book transformed by trauma um is uh, i think a nice accessible way to learn more uh about post-traumatic growth for, for anyone who's who's interested in in getting through their own traumatic circumstances or helping somebody else.
1: That's terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Rich, for your important work and for being on the show today. Take care. Stay safe. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you, Renee. Bye now.